to his work. I'd like for you to take the word of God with me this morning. What a privilege it is to have the word of God, amen? And we're gonna take the word of God and turn to Isaiah chapter four, uh, 41, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 41, and we're gonna go to verse number 10. And um, I'm gonna introduce our theme for next year. And uh, we can put that up on the screen, and uh, we're going to officially go uh, to our next year's theme, which is Fear Thou Not. Fear Thou Not. Amen? And it comes right from this text here in Isaiah chapter 41, verse number 10. <clears throat> and uh, let's uh, read that verse together, uh, if we could, out loud. Let's stand for the reading of God's word out of respect for his, his holy word. Together, Isaiah 41, verse number 10. Fear thou not. Let's stop right there. Those three words, so important, are they? They're important, aren't they? Fear thou not. Now, I can give you the context. He's speaking to Israel here, but we can apply this to us. Fear thou not. Let's read it. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. That's how. That's how. Because if it was just, fear thou not, okay, we uh, can think optimistically and try to, uh, try to have good thoughts and try not to fear, try to not think about the problems, because all of us have something that we're, we are fearful of. Naturally, all of us have fear. And, uh, but the sin comes in when we decide to live in fear and not embrace the comfort and help that God gives to us. That's living in faith. When God says to do something, when God says move forward, when God says keep going, and yet we're over here saying, I can't, I quit, I, there's no way, that's sin. He says, fear thou not, why? For I am, what? With thee. Keep reading, let's read it together. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Let's read. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. He's giving us all the reasons why we should not be afraid. He said, I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Isn't that a wonderful promise the Lord gave to Israel? We could apply it to our, our, our life. We're on the precipice of something new, amen? And, but by the way, every time we go through something new, there is fear, right? There's fear, um, years ago, the map makers, the cartographers, as they were making maps of the world, they, they were making maps of places they uh, hadn't gone yet. They were trying to make maps of places that they hadn't gone yet. And as they were charting the map, or charting the world, they didn't know what we know today. Much of the world at that time, when they were making these maps, had not been discovered, much less explored. So they would make maps of what they knew, and when they would come to the edge, of their knowledge, they would often write something like this on the map. Beyond this, there may be dragons. If you look at some of the old maps, you'll see uh, sea monsters in the ocean, places that hadn't been explored yet. Beyond this, there may be dragons. Because man has a sort of an inbred fear of the future, a fear of the unknown. Those map makers could have put on there, beyond this are sparkling seas and beautiful mountains and uh, wonderful things to be explored, uh, grand opportunities. But man, by nature, we have a dread and we have a fear of what we don't know. And as we look at 2024, I hope that we have optimism 
I hope we have a good outlook because the Lord's on our side. And, and uh, I was thinking back four years ago, where were we four years ago, end of 2019? What happened in 2020 with all of uh, COVID and everything that happened? And uh, we had optimism in 2019. By that time, 2020 rolled around in March and April. What in the world is going on? I believe we're kind of, we, we are in that time again, uh, political season. It seems like um, that many of the world events and a lot of things are surrounding these political seasons. A lot of what goes on, a lot of the, the fear and the baiting and the media and all of those things that are, are designed to cause us to fear. Um, that is something that we as believers, we should see beyond that. We shouldn't give in to that. We shouldn't be lured into the fear, the fear, all of that which uh, that many of the world, much of the world is succumbing to. I saw in 2020 the real emotion that people have. What is, what is going through their mind? Many people were so afraid Many people thought they were going to, to die. And we saw the reaction. We saw the behavior that came out of that. But God says, don't fear. You might not know what 2024 is. You might be tempted to, to give in to the world who's saying, beyond this, there might be dragons. There might, we don't know what's out, out there, and it's scary. We're going to go through some deep waters in our life. I'm not going to lie to you this morning. The Bible says, Jesus told us that if, if uh, we're one of his, we're going to go through some trials and temptations, amen? And uh, he went through trials and temptations, and the servant is not greater than his Lord. And our Lord Jesus went through things. We're going to go through things, but praise the Lord, we're on God's side, and he's on our side. He's with us. And what a wonderful promise. The Bible says, even, even we can go through the deepest, darkest valleys. And by the way, everything you've ever gone through in life, you got through it. Praise the Lord for that. Think about it. Nothing was beyond God's ability to get you through it. And, uh, uh, but you think about what are the things that you haven't gone through? Something we have not physically experienced yet, and that is death. But David even said in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. And that's what Isaiah is saying here. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Father, Lord, I pray that you bless your word this morning. I ask that you would speak to us in your, your message today. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to not live like the world lives. Fear, fearful, May we be believers. May we not be unbelieving. May we believe that you are who you say you are. You have been with us. You are with us. God, help us to hold on to your unchanging hand. I pray that you would bless our congregation, Lord. I pray that you'd help us in this year to be uh, faith-filled. May, may we be trusting you. Lord, help us to trust and then obey because faith always produces. Help us to have faith, but may that faith do a work inside of us where we will step out and step forward and we will stand up above all those that are cowering in fear. 
I pray that you bless your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Isaiah first writes of the greatness of God in verse number one. Isaiah 41 verse one. He writes here that he is the righteous judge of all the earth. Isaiah says in Isaiah 41, verse number one. Can you read that with me? I love this part. And, uh, and uh, I love the two, first two words. These are next to Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is another verse that kids could learn, right? And you teach your children this verse. Isaiah 41, verse number one, A. And the first two words, keep silence. I love that, amen? And teach your kids that verse. And uh, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Now obey Ephesians, or, uh, Isaiah 41, verse 1, A, keep silence. But that's not all that he says here, right? He says, keep silence before me, O islands. This is the voice of the Lord speaking. Keep silence before me, O islands. O islands are the nations of the world, the heathen nations of the world. He says, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near. Let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. What is he talking about here? God is summoning the pagan nations and all, really, all the nations of the world to gather for a trial, to gather for court. It's a picture of a future judgment. All the idolatrous nations of the world are asked to come together to plead their cause. Someday everyone will give an account of himself. Every nation will give an account to God. Every politician, every king, every prime minister will give an account to the Lord. God is not on trial. We are in his courtroom. He is the righteous judge of all the earth. That's, but that's the God, the one who, who will call all the nations on judgment day. Ask them to give an account for their deeds. The one that will, uh, will have, have court and uh, at the judgment, the great white throne judgment where those who are not believers will bow before God and will be given the sentence. God is over all. You might say, well, what in the world is he allowing to go on in this world right now? Why is all of the, the wickedness going on? Why is all of the bloodshed going on? Why is all of the murders uh, Why are the, all those murders happening in our city? And everyone's all excited. Hallelujah, the murder rate is down this year. But yeah, but it's way up higher than, it's, than it really had ever been five years ago. And, uh, but we'll take small victories, I guess. But that's the state of the world right now. It's not good. But it is. And when we think of it th in this way, that God is still in control. God is, al God is allowing things to happen the way they're happening because he's merciful. You're saying, how, is it, how does that even make any sense? Well, God is giving all of the wicked the opportunity to repent and come to him and to be saved from their sin. You might be saying, well, that's not fair because of all of this stuff going on. I don't like all of that. But praise God for the opportunity you had to get saved. And praise God he was merciful and allowed things to, for you to be saved. Things were bad the day that you got saved, amen? And uh, some in, in this room were saved out of some horrible, horrible things. By the way, everybody that's ever been saved was saved out of horrible, horrible things. 
But I'm so thankful that this righteous judge of all the earth, he is merciful, but there is a day of judgment coming. God will call every man to answer for his deeds. But that's the God who is strengthening you. He is the one that is great and able to help you. He is, he is over all. He truly is the ruler of all rulers. Verse 2, he raised up the, the righteous man. He says, who raised up the righteous man from the east? And uh, this is possibly talking of Cyrus of Persia, uh, the man who God raised up to come against Babylon. And uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, and he changes the times and the seasons. God is in control of, of all of the times and all of the seasons. Daniel says there in chapter 2, he raises kings up, he sets kings up, he removeth kings, and God controls the affairs of men and the nations for his purposes. Oh, it is falling apart out there. Oh, it is just falling apart. No, my friend, it is falling into God's perfect place. When God allows some of the things that go on, you say, look at all the wars, look at all the bloodshed, look at all the, the, the horrible things that are going on. God is bringing things into place for the end times events. All of the things that, is, that are prophesied in Scripture, this all has to happen for that prophecy to be fulfilled. It's all falling into God's perfect plan. He controls the affairs of men for his purposes. After God used Nebuchadnezzar to punish his people, bring them into Babylonian captivity, he raised up Cyrus to deliver them from their captivity in Babylon, to return them to their land and rebuild the temple. And God is the ruler of rulers. God has brought it all into place. You might be saying, I don't like who's in charge. Yeah, but God's ultimately in charge. And sometimes he allows certain people to be in charge to make Christians uncomfortable, to get God's people right with him, to, uh, to stir things up. God uses unsaved people even to do some of his work. We see there in verse number three, ver continue reading verse two. Um, keep in mind, this is possibly Cyrus who he's talking about, who raised up the righteous man from the east, called him to his foot, gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings. He gave them as the dust to his sword and as driven stubble to his bow. He pursued them and passed safely even by the way that he had gone with his feet. We see number four, or number three, point number three here. He is uncreated and he is eternal. Not only does God, uh, not only is he the righteous judge of all the earth, not only is God the ruler of all rulers, he is uncreated, he is eternal. In verse number four here we see, who hath wrought and done it? Calling the generations from the beginning, I the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. Here's a picture of God not only judging the nations and ruling the rulers of the earth, but calling all nations of the earth into being. God is the first. He is the absolute reality before all other reality. God is pre-existent. He's part, he is not part of creation. God is the creator. He created all that is around us. Everything that is uh, that is temporary, that is around us. He who is eternal created all of it. He is before and after everything. 
He is uncreated, and he will be there at the last when everything is accomplished according to his purpose. We see in verse number five, not only is he's uncreated, he's eternal, but he's the one and only true God. Verse number five, the isles saw it, or the nations of the world, they feared, and the ends of the earth were afraid and drew near and came. And they helped everyone his neighbor. And everyone said to his brother, be of good courage. Now, if you read that in context, verse number five, this is talking about heathen nations. These are heathen nations. And uh, they are encouraging one another. Be of good courage, verse number six. Don't worry. Don't fear. And uh, verse seven, so the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith. By the way, what... In, in, in context, what do heathen pagan nations do? Who do they worship? They worship idols. These are man-made idols. And they're encouraging one another. So the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith. And he that smootheth with the hammer, him that smote the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering. And he fastened it with nails that it should, be, uh, should not be moved. In verses uh, 5 through 7, Isaiah shows us the desperate attempts of the nations to persuade themselves that their gods are strong. They try to encourage each other. They say, be strong. This is a picture of the unrepentant nations trying to convince themselves that all of the gods that they have made with their hands uh, are adequate for their needs. Oh, my friend, There is only one God, but there is also only one God who can fulfill the needs and the desires of the heart of man. Oh, the world is seeking for uh, the answer. They're seeking for some kind of uh, uh, God to fill the void. Because every man and every woman has a longing in their heart to be in a relationship with their creator. But we see that much of the world denies God. Much of, their, much of the world does not seek after God. Secular society uh, is desperately trying to hold, on, hold the God. Uh, and by the way, not all gods are made with hands. Society, that, uh, secular society, is trying to hold the God of government together. That's a God. And uh, they t- uh, maybe were taking their communist governments and uh, by the way, communism is a government built on human, human secular, um, uh, humanism and secularism and atheism. Communism is designed to be actively atheistic. It is anti-God. They persecute Christians. They persecute those who would be religious. And communism is a failed form of government. It has failed everywhere. But you'll not find a single Marxist who will say it failed because it was wrong or impractical. He will say, if he agrees that communism has failed, he will say it's because nobody went far enough with it. And uh, we would have a utopia if it weren't for all these Christians. If it wasn't for all of these believers. And uh, the communists and the socialists are trying to hold their God of government together this morning. And they're saying, just a little more time, we can get this to work, and this will solve all of the problems that we have. We just need a little bit more money. 
Amen? Hey, you know, socialism is a great idea. And uh, as long as you are still able to spend other people's money, I guess, you know, it's great as long as it's not yours, right? And uh, as long as we have other people's money to spend, we can solve all of the world's problems, right? Wrong. And we have not solved poverty. They, they figured it out. Years ago, they did the, the math, and they said, we would need this much money, and we could take everyone out of poverty. We could solve all the financial problems of the world. And guess what? They found out that the figure that, of money that they needed, although it was a big number, that number, more than that number, was already being spent every single year in this country to solve the social problem of poverty. And guess what? It didn't solve the problem. It hasn't solved the problem. It will not solve the problem because government is not the solution. Government, the God of government, is not going to fix the problem. But they're trying to hold it all together and, and say, well, this is, this is going to solve the problem. All the idols that are out there, the idol of homosexuality and transgenderism and feminism, uh, they are so desperately wanting acceptance and legitimacy, all those that are in those lifestyles. But God calls that lifestyle a perversion. It's a perversion of his beautiful design. We have a heart for, for every person. There's not one person that, that I wouldn't share the gospel with. There's not one person I would not share the gospel with, given the opportunity. We should have a love for all people, because Jesus died on the cross for all people. They're saying that many have turned their back on God, and many are, are not only just turning their back on God, they're actively shaking their fist in the face of God today. But if you would just think of Jesus on the cross, he died for them too. What did he say on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They're saying the context of what he was saying. He was, he understood that his sacrifice on that cross he was giving that for all people. He was forgiving. He was willing to forgive those who did not even understand what they were doing. But instead of repent of the sins of homosexuality, transgenderism, feminism, all of the things that people are doing, trying to find acceptance and love, and um, by the way, the only thing that will ever come out of that sin, just like any other sin, is shame, sorrow, and death. But instead of repent, they convince themselves that uh, these gods are adequate for their need to be happy. In fact, they flaunt that lifestyle. They throw a big parade every June, you know? And, uh, and uh, well, we would just get marriage. Then we'll, we will be happy. There was no, no change. In fact, I think people became more sad after uh, the gay marriage bill was passed or the, whatever the, the, the court ruling was, there was no more happiness. There was more sorrow and sadness. There was more, uh, more desperate, desperation. Nothing satisfied. And yet the world is still running after their gods, government, these alternative lifestyles, these perversion, sexual perversion, uh, the relationships, the alcohol and the drugs and all the other gods that the world keeps running after trying to find help and hope and, and uh, find peace and satisfaction. 
And over against the desperation of self-reliance and idolatry, God says to his people in verse number 8, But thou, O Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend, thou whom I have uh, taken from the ends of the earth, and called thee from the chief men thereof, and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee, and cast thee, and not cast thee away. He is calling his people back. This is what God has done for Israel, but he's also done for us in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, the Bible says that he has chosen us before the foundation of the world. We are part of uh, those who he loves. He's chosen, I believe, all people to be saved, to, be re- to repent of their sin. But when, I, when, when he's saying that, he has chosen us. Think about the fact that he died on the cross. Jesus died for us, and he he chose to do that, and he chose to accept us and love us and praise God for the day that we received that love and forgiveness. He says, I love you. His promise is to provide for us and to care for us. And I believe that we can apply the truth in verse 10 to us, to ourselves today. We are God's people. We are God's people. I know we're not Israel, but we're God's people. We're his church. Isaiah 41, verse 10, fear thou not. He said, all of these reasons, all of these reasons I can take care of you. So I'm, I'm in control. I'm the ruler of rulers. I'm the judge who will call all nations to repentance. Who, who is calling all nations to repentance? I'm gonna bring judgment. I'm the king of kings and lord of lords. I'm eternal. I was here before you got here. And I'm the only one and true God, one and only true God. All the world says, oh yes, we've got this new thing over here. This is gonna save us. Now we got the environment, you know, we, get, we solve this problem, then everything's gonna be great. The world's always trying to solve its problems with everything and anything and everything besides coming back to the Lord. But if you found the Lord this morning, if he's found you, praise God for that. Because you have, you have it figured out. You've, you have found the solution. You have the solution. The world does not have the solution. It's there. It's there, but they've not embraced and received the solution that God has given to us. And you can say this morning, I don't have to fear because God's with me. The five pillars of fearlessness, number one, God is with me. God has said he will never leave you and he will not forsake you. You do not have to fear what man can do to you. Think about the security that God gives to us. We don't have to go into this world, oh no, what's going to happen tomorrow? And uh, we don't have to buy into all of the, the uh, fear that is being portrayed on television, what we're told to believe, what we're told to think. That's garbage. And by the way, if you just turned off CNN and Fox, you'd probably live a lot better. Amen? Turn that off and open up your Bible. There's a lot more strength from the Word of God than you could ever find anywhere else. There's security and courage that comes from knowing that God is with us. He is present. He is present. He is here. 
I think of the little boy uh, who was being picked on by the bully going to school. He may be frightened to walk to school, but if big brother comes along, if dad comes along, is walking alongside, guess where the fear is? The fear is gone. Amen? <laughs> and uh, I've told you about that little kid who uh, used to pick on me when I was at school. And uh, finally, uh, it frightened me to death. And finally, I had enough. And I, and I finally told her, you need to leave me alone. Amen? No, I'm just kidding. But there was a girl in third grade who was taller than me. I was always the tallest kid in school. I mean, that's a long time. For kindergarten, first, second grade, that's a long time, you know. For three years, I held the record. I was the tallest kid in my class. And I wasn't even held back or anything. But finally, there was a girl that was taller than me that came to school in third grade. And not only was she naturally just tall, but she had been held back a grade, and so she now was really tall. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to ever be able to surpass her height. And I haven't checked in because I haven't kept track of this young lady because I stopped going to that school in fifth grade, but I'm probably, I'm pretty sure I'm probably beat her finally being six foot one. But, you know, we, we get fearful naturally. There's lots of things that make us afraid naturally. But when we remember God is with me, even in the valley of death, even in the valley of death, I will fear no evil. If, if dad's with you, and you're that little boy, boy, I remember at probably eight years of age, being out in Montana, riding my bicycle through those dirt roads and out with the wild animals, the deer and the antelope and the mountain lions and the bears and everything out there, and it's all fun and games. And it's still that feeling of, ooh, there might be a mountain lion around here. Out by myself, eight years old, riding my bicycle. Dad's down the road. And it got dark. And with those 100-foot-plus tall pine trees, it gets dark real quick. The sun goes down. And I got myself a little too far from home. And I remember being afraid. And being so afraid, I didn't even, I, it was a maybe 400 feet, 500 feet, maybe 1,000 feet, I don't know what it was, up to the cabin. But I was so afraid, I didn't want to ride my bike in the dark. And I could see it, I could probably ride it, but I was afraid because I didn't know it was between here and there. And that was kind of dumb, you know, just to sit, you're just a sitting target, you know, for any kind of wild animal that might be out there that may, probably not, but may attack you. But if I would have just said, guess what? I can do that. I can ride. I can get up there. I would have been fine. Nothing probably would have happened. But if Dad had been there with me, I would not have even, I would have never given it a second thought because nothing's going to hurt my dad. And if my dad's with me, nothing's going to hurt me. When we realize that God is with us, we have nothing to fear. You might say, well, what if they kill me? What if somebody, you know, we, we face, we do face the threat of persecution. Some, some of our people are out there at the abortion clinic and other places, and they are out there witnessing and sharing the gospel. 
They're definitely, I would say, more on the front lines. But think about all the, all the other things that are coming down the, the, the pike here. Persecution is not too far away, I believe. You say, what if they kill me? They may, and God may allow it. God has allowed his martyrs to die often. But what a privilege to die for Jesus. That doesn't mean that things are out of control. Somehow, oh God, you, you messed up. I, I'm, I died. I thought you were going to deliver me. God sometimes does that. I think about the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. Remember what, what Nebuchadnezzar saw? There's a fourth one in there. Looks like the Son of God. God's always with us. And God never loses control. He never says, I made a mistake. God never makes a mistake. We talked about God's sovereign will. Sometimes things happen. We talked about this Thursday night, but sometimes things happen that we don't have an answer for in this lifetime, but God has an answer for. And God, it's always for God's glory when things happen. And the times that uh, people have been martyred for their faith, that was not God losing. That, those are some of the devil's biggest blunders because when people die for the faith of the gospel, people die for the Lord and give their life and are martyred, the church always grows. I believe that revival happens. When people give their life for the, for the gospel, it causes there to be a stirring. It causes people to say, what, what is so important to that person? Why is that so important that they would be willing to give their life? When many, many people come to, the gospel, come to salvation, when they see the, uh, someone laying down their life for what they believe. And it was said of one great Christian that he feared man so little because he feared God so much. If we would have a proper respect and fear for the Lord, fear for God, we would not worry about what people could say to us, what people think of us, or what people could do to us. If our fear would be a, a healthy fear of God, we would not fear man. As long as the Lord is with us, as long as we know that he's with us, we don't have to be afraid. I think of the song, uh, How Firm a Foundation, the chorus goes, The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, he will not, he will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, He'll never, no, never forsake. God will not leave us high and dry. Sometimes we think, well, God's forgotten about me over here. God doesn't care about me. God's mad at me. My friend, is he? Is he? Are you in the word? Are you trusting the Lord? Are you, are you seeking after the Lord? And uh, some people think God's upset because you know, I'm going through some trials. God allows us to go through things. That's normal in the Christian life. Don't think of it as God's deserting you, God's forgetting about you. Just realize God is with you in the midst of all of those things. Uh, God is with us 
Secondly, we see there in verse number 10. Go back there with me. He says, fear thou not. Why? For I am with thee. Then he says, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. God is my God. He is a personal God. He's a personal Savior. He's not just some unknown uh, being. Uh, he wants to have a relationship with us. God so wants to have a relationship with us. I talked three, uh, two weeks ago about how he's revealed himself to us through creation. He's revealed himself to us through our conscience. And he's revealed himself to us through his written word. Then he also revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. God wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants to have a personal relationship. There's only one way to have that personal relationship, and that is to come through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we are sinners. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve any of that. We deserve to go to hell. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he is our God. Number three, God will strengthen me. Philippians 4, 13, I can do what? All things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He says there in verse number 10 of Isaiah 41, look at it if you will. He said, for I am thy God, I will what? Strengthen thee. He will strengthen us. Sometimes we're weak. Sometimes we are spiritually just weak. And, 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 and my friend, you might say, that's horrible. It's horrible to be at a place where we're weak. But you know what? That's not because in our weakness, God will give us grace. Yeah. God always specializes in using that which is weak. And God gets all the glory when he gives us the strength and he fills us with his power. But that only happens when we come to him and say, God, I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your strength. God, I'm weak and I need you. And that's a wonderful place to be. But the Bible says he will strengthen us. Philippians 4.13, Paul understood it. I can. He didn't say, I love it that he didn't say I can't. But some people I think would love that verse. <laughs> you know, I can't. Yeah, I resonate with Paul. I can't. No, he said, I can do all things through Christ. Which did Paul have trials? Did he have discouragement in his life? Of course he did. He had uh, the, the thorn in the flesh. He had things that were bothering him physically, most, most likely. He had some physical problems. He, most can relate to that. But God said, even though Paul said, Lord, take this thorn from me. Take it from me. Three times, three times he went back to the Lord and I don't think it was just, you know, uh, you know, praying for his meal one day, you know, breakfast. Thank you, Lord, for this food. I, I bless it to our bodies. And bo oh, by the way, take away the thorn of the flesh. Lunch. Thank you, Lord, for this meal. Bless it to our bodies. And by the way, take away the thorn of the flesh. I believe that those three times that he went to the Lord were times of passionate prayer. Where he said this is a thorn in my flesh. I can't do it without your help. But guess what? In his prayer, he found the answer. <laughs> he said, my grace, God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. I, you can do it. With my help, you can do it. So it's the Lord that has to strengthen us. When you're weak, say, Lord, I know I'm weak, but thank you for my weakness because it helps me to, to draw closer to you, but strengthen me, strengthen me. Not only that, he says there in verse number 10 that God will help me, number four. Not only that is uh, God is with me, God is my God, it's personal. God will strengthen me, number three. Number four, to the pillars here, God will help me. 
Look at verse number 10. He said, For I am thy God, I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. What a wonderful promise that is, that God will help you. What does that mean? He is willing to help. He has a heart to help. And he can help. Praise God for that. We built that foundation. He can do it. He can. But then he says there, lastly, number five, the fifth pillar, God will uphold me. He said, yea, I will uphold thee. What does that mean? That means I will maintain you. It's not just, you know, he's here for the photo and the publicity, and as soon as he, he can, he leaves us high and dry. No, God is there to deliver you, amen? He's there to strengthen you, but he's there to uphold you. He's there, he, he, he'll be there. He will continue on with the maintenance process, amen? Because all of us need maintenance, right? And uh, everything in life needs maintenance, I've learned that. And uh, there's nothing, th nothing really maintenance-free. And, uh, you know, you, you get a new washer or a dryer or uh, what is something? Uh, a TV, all right? TVs. Remember years ago you took your TV to the repair shop? Amen. And now they don't even work on TVs because they're supposed to be maintenance-free, right? And you don't need to replace any tubes. You don't need to do anything like that. They just break. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> but everything needs maintenance because nothing lasts forever. Everything needs work. And uh, your relationship needs work. Amen? By the way, you might say, oh man, pastor, I really need to work on my, my marriage. Well, amen, I'm glad you're working on your marriage because if you're working on your marriage, your marriage is probably working. Amen? And uh, everything needs maintenance. But that's what God does. He maintains his promise. He will uphold me. He will carry you when you can't go on. And he'll be your strength when all of your strength is gone. He'll be by your side. He'll stick with you. He will be with you to the end because guess what? He was there before you got here and he's outside of the realm that we live in right now. He's eternal. He's there. He's made a long-term commitment. 2 Timothy 2, 3, if we believe not, and sometimes we don't believe, right? But the Bible says, yet he abideth faithful. And I say, I, I can't. Well, praise the Lord, you've come to the right conclusion. I can't, but he can. Amen, amen. I love this story. I, I heard it this morning. Brother Steve Packard shared this with me, so I'm gonna share it with you. Years ago, some men were on a leaky old ship in the middle of a rough and stormy sea. One of them asked the captain, are we safe? And he said, well, the boilers are weak and may explode at any moment. Well, that's good news. The ship is taking on water. And to be very honest with you, we may go up or we may go down. <laughs> but at any rate, we are going on. And that's the way we are. Uh, that's the way we are as we face the new year. Here we are. We may go up. We may go down. Jesus may come, we may go up with him. And death may come, we may go down in the grave to anticipate a future resurrection. But at any rate, we must go on. We gotta keep on keeping on for the Lord's glory, but it's always by his power, by his might, by his strength. 
It's his grace that keeps us going. Anytime you feel discouraged, just remember the Lord's with me, amen. He is my God, and uh, he is faithful. He will always be uh, by my side. He is eternal. He is there before I got here. He's here after I die. And I'll be with him for eternity. But he is, he is the only one that will get me through this. Don't go to the gods. Oh, Israel was tempted so many times to go to the gods of the world, the gods of Egypt, the gods of the Canaanites. Why? Think about it. Who delivered them from Egypt? Who delivered them? God did. They saw God's work. They saw God's hand. And yet they go after idols again. But what is it? That just shows us how, how our hearts are so deceitful and wicked. We, we see God do something wonderful, and then we give credit to someone else. The sun rises, that's God. You give credit to someone else. The sun sets, all the things that happen, all the blessings that we have, the air that we breathe, the water that we drink, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It cometh down to us. But yet we give credit to everyone else. Because in our wicked hearts, we, we, we forget the goodness of God. But every single day as we, as we set out for that day, may we, may we get close to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you so much for your goodness to me. Thank you for waking me up this morning. I don't even deserve that. Thank you, God, for giving me the food on my table. I don't even deserve that. You might be saying, well, that came from the grocery store, and I worked to get that uh, food and all of this. No, my friend, every good gift comes from God. Don't forget the goodness of the Lord. That's why we get into the position that we get into sometimes where we are just so distraught and we are in fear and say, I don't know how I'm going to do it because we forgot the goodness of God. Because if you are continually reciting the blessings of the Lord and in communion with him and thanking him and giving him the credit, guess what? In the moment of fear, you say, Lord, you got me through it before, and I know you're with me now. God, help me. Help me to trust you even more right now. Lord, help me. I know that you are here. And there's a peace that passeth all understanding, a supernatural peace, a supernatural joy that the world does not know, the world does not have, the world cannot understand, but God can give that to you. But may we just be mindful. May we not come to him like prayer, right? Prayer is, for many people, a spare tire, not their steering wheel, amen? We're saying, Lord, now we're going to have to pray. And we go and get the spare tire, when all the time we could have just been holding on to the steering wheel saying, and really let the Lord steer, right? And his hands are over our hands as we're going through life. And just in continual prayer and communion with the Lord, that's when we can avoid the pitfall of fear. Amen? Fear thou not. This is not self-motivation this morning at all. I hope I've tried to draw you to the Lord. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. We can't be with each other all, all throughout the week. Wouldn't that be fun? Anytime we had a problem, call up the church, everyone shows up. Sometimes that's needed. Sometimes that's needed, the physical presence of the church. But whether we're there or not, the Lord's always with you, and he can do more than anyone can. 
He's always with you. May we pray together. Would you pray?